Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dan Goldie, uh, who is a CFP, a CFA, the president of Dan Goldie Financial Services, uh, based in California. Welcome to the show, Dan. Jordan, thank you. Appreciate being on your show. Great to be with you. Dan has done a new book. Uh, called The Investment Answer, uh, The Five Key Decisions Every Investor Needs to Make, uh, Learn to Manage Your Money and Protect Your Financial Future. What was the reason that you uh, wanted to write this book, Dan? Well, really, the genesis of the book started, uh, oh gosh, years ago when my co-author and I, Gordon Murray, first started talking about writing something, and then we really didn't have the impetus to do it until he received an unfortunate diagnosis of brain cancer about two years ago. And then when he was finally given six months to live, I said to him, Gordon, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about writing this book. Now let's actually do it. And, um, and he was incredibly courageous and, and decided that you know, now was the time. So it was about, uh, in, it was last summer. It was in, you know, around the early part of June that we started writing. You say at the beginning... Uh, that the need to invest uh, wisely now is more important than ever. And why is that true, particularly now? Well, I think right now that a lot of people uh, are very worried about their money and very confused. I think there's a lot of uh, just misguided advice out there, and a lot of people are just quite frankly scared. Uh, the last couple of years, um, particularly with the 08 and early 09 downturn, has caused many of us to pull out of the stock market and leave the money in a cash account that right now is earning probably close to zero. And you also say that life expectancy has changed. How does that affect uh, the ability or, or need to invest better? Well, because we're all living longer and healthier lives, we need our money to last longer. So if we're not investing more smartly and saving more and preparing better for those later years, then there's a chance that we may be healthy and, and old and broke, and that's not a good thing to be. You say that uh, people should not be um, counting on traditional pension plans, uh, Social Security, or Medicare. Do you think these are, are going to go broke? People shouldn't expect anything out of them, or what should they expect from those big uh, pension plans from the government? Uh, well, the facts show that uh, Traditional pension plans are not offered uh, very, very much anymore. Something like only a third of the companies offer them now when they used to be 80% of the companies would offer them 30 years ago. So traditional pension plans are being replaced by 401Ks. So we now, as employees, we have the responsibility for handling our money and making sure we're saving enough. And Social Security, I think, and, and Medicare and so forth will be there, but it's, uh, I believe that the benefits will have to be reduced somewhat going forward. So we're, we're more responsible for our own financial future now than, than we ever have in recent memory. And this is happening to public service workers as well as private workers, right? A lot of the uh, complaints that the uh, governors and so on are that the private pen public pensions are too lavish and they're going to convert them into 401k type vehicles as well. So that what they haven't had to deal with that in many cases, now going to have to be as well. It's true, and, and, and it could be that um, with all the state budget problems that, that you know, those, those programs will be changing drastically. It's, it's hard to know. But, you know. So wherever you are, it just it makes sense to educate yourself and, and make smarter money decisions. 
So you say that because people realize it's important to invest well, uh, they spend a lot of time uh, watching the cable channels and magazines and the newspapers and research and all that. Is that productive or counterproductive the way you look at it? Uh, I would say that that activity is counterproductive. I think what happens is that uh, too often we, we're looking for answers in the wrong places when it comes to investing. And it's, it's in, in part because we, we've never really been taught uh, about investments in, in the, you know, like in school. And so a lot of us have tried to learn on our own, uh, usually, uh, gosh, I don't know, from television or from uh, reading the paper or something or reading magazines, and that's a difficult way to learn. And we're kind of looking for answers in the wrong places. And uh, we don't need to be trying to follow the, these kind of programs that basically um, treat investment as though it's entertainment. We really need to get back to basics and understand that investing is not about forecasting or, or predicting the future or finding the hot stock or the hot money manager. It's about other things, important things, allocating assets smartly, you know, things like that, things that we write about in the book. We're going to get into that in, in great detail in this uh, interview. Um, you say that Wall Street feels like a casino with the odds stacked against you in many cases. So how do people react to that? Do they want to gamble more or they retreat and keep their money in cash and do nothing? I think some people, you know, there, there's both camps. <laughs> there's, right now, I think in the, in the current environment, people are mostly just scared and they're doing nothing. And if you look at the data flow out of mutual funds, you can see that uh, a lot of money has left the stock market, left stock mutual funds. People are running scared, and they're putting their money in a safe place, you know, in the bank. Uh, but you know, bank money market funds and so forth are not going to, over the long run, give you a high enough return so that you can meet your investment goals and have a comfortable retirement. So that that's not a good long-run solution. Uh, now, some would say uh, that uh, safety is most important. Some would also say that inflation uh, is going to be picking up, and earning zero in your money is, is going to get you further behind just as far as purchasing powers. Is that something you'd agree with? Yes, I think that people often confuse uh, what really is comfort with, with what they think is safe. And what's comfortable are things that investments that don't bounce around in price. So a CD or a money market fund where you know your money is not going to go down, that's comfortable. But it's not really safe in the long run because in the long run, inflation will eat away at your principal. And in the long run, these kind of fixed income investments don't deliver really much of a return above inflation. So after you pay your taxes, your, any withdrawals you make are coming right out of your principal. There's a difference between what's comfortable and what's really safe in the long run. You say that if you make the right decisions, the financial markets can be your ally instead of your adversary. We're going to get into the five key decisions, but how is that possible? Most people think there are financial sharks out to get them. How can the financial markets be your ally? Well, financial markets deliver uh, positive returns to investors overall. So they are the ally of all investors. Unfortunately, too many people treat them as though they are the enemy. And, and, uh, but you don't have to invest that way. You don't have to invest trying to compete against other investors. You can invest in a broadly diversified portfolio like an index fund or an exchange-traded fund, and you will get the returns of the overall market. 
So the returns of capitalism are available to you as an investor. You just have to tap into it in the right way. And to me, that means you know, making markets your ally and working with them rather than against them. There is an emotional aspect of this as well. You say that uh, people shouldn't want to be speculators, they should be investors, but there is a certain excitement, I guess, you have by getting in there and buying and selling and seeing the latest news and earnings releases and all that. How do you offset that need for emotional excitement, I guess? Well, I would say get it somewhere other than your investments. You know, you can get emotional excitement elsewhere, but, you know, the enemy really is ourselves a lot of times when it comes to investing because we get caught up in the emotions of the day and when markets are down we feel depressed and uh, when markets are up we feel uh, you know very uh, proud and excited and those emotions often work against us because when we're when markets are up that's when we tend to want to buy and when markets are down that's when we tend to want to sell and you know buying buying high and selling low is not a good recipe for long-term success. So is that what you say we are now, is that the markets are quite high and, and euphoria and people are feeling very confident and it's a dangerous time to be investing? No, I, I think it's, there's no way to know. Uh, it's, it's very hard to know where markets are headed and, and whether markets are currently either too high or too low. Uh, very seldom is that really so obvious. I mean, even in the depths of the 0809 downturn, when it seemed like at some point there had to be a bottom, you really don't know where the bottom is because you can't forecast the future. So trying to, trying to time the market and forecast uh, where markets are headed uh, in, in, in that kind of a way, I think, is, is not possible. Before we go to break, just tell people a little bit about uh, Dan Goldie Financial Services and uh, your investment advisory and what kind of services you provide and maybe give them your website as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. We're a an, uh, registered investment advisory firm in Menlo Park, California, just south of San Francisco, and we manage about $475 million for uh, individual investors, wealthy individuals, and the website is www.dangoldie.com. And uh, do you have a uh, value style or a growth style, or how do you, uh, what, what kind of style, do you use money managers, how do you do it? Uh... I wouldn't say we have any particular style. We, we basically follow the investment approach that's described in the book. Uh, it's a very diversified, disciplined approach. Uh, we basically act as a uh, overall consultant for our clients, so we provide financial planning advice as well as managing their money. We only work with individual investors, uh, no institutional um, clients at all. And... Um, and that's, that's, that's really what we do here. Very good. <coughs> All right, we're going to take a break. Um, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dan Goldie. His new book is called The Investment Answer, Learn to Manage Your Money and Protect Your Financial Future. Uh, and we're going to get into the, the five specific decisions you have to make and how to make them the best possible way to improve your returns at lower risk over time. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? 
You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800 707 1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay because spaces are limited. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dan Goldie. Uh, he is the, a financial advisor and author of a new book called The Investment Answer, Learn to Manage Your Money and Protect Your Financial Future. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Uh, Jordan, thank you. Pleasure. You, you go through different decisions, and the first decision is what you call the do-it-yourself decision. And this is, I guess, the decision of whether you should... Uh, learn about investing and do it yourself, or use a financial advisor of some kind. So, so what are some of the key uh, indications, one way or the other, whether you should do it yourself or use a financial advisor? Well, so keep in mind, we're trying to structure the book as in a logical way so a reader can follow through these uh, decisions and, at the end of that, have a, a good plan for going forward with handling their money. And so, to us, the first logical decision is, uh, well, you know, are you going to invest on your own, or are you going to find someone to help you? And um, what we really find is that uh, the tools are out there to do it on your own, and uh, some people have the ability to do it, but it really does appear to be very difficult. If you look at the data on how well uh, individuals do when they invest on their own, it, it doesn't look very good. But um, you know, what it really takes is, uh, first and foremost, a disciplined approach. You know, <laughs> really have to have a self-disciplined personality, I think, to be a successful on-your-own, do-it-yourself investor. And then uh, also you have to have you know, the time to commit to it. And um, I think most do-it-yourself investors that are successful also find that investing is really something that's enjoyable. It becomes kind of a hobby. So those are the traits that I think make a good do-it-yourself investor. You talk about the emotional cycle of investing. Why don't you go through that cycle and what people should do and what they actually do as far as investing? Well, uh, the emotional cycle tends to 
take you up and down with markets. So when markets have had a good run, we tend to feel confident, and that's when we tend to want to purchase stocks and invest money. And the opposite occurs, and it's quite normal, of course, that this happens to us all. Uh, when markets are down and we're hearing you know, negative news and forecasts, well, that's when we are most likely to sell and run for cover. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that you know, this actually is the opposite of what you really should be doing. If you were a good, if you were able at all the time to market, you want to do the opposite of that. And what happens is people tend to leave the stock market and leave investments uh, after they've had a big decline, and that doesn't that doesn't do well for you in the long run. So, are there some ways that people can do the right thing? That buy more when it's emotionally difficult and, and buy less or sell when things are optimistic? I think the best way to do that is to have a disciplined rebalancing uh, plan in place, which is uh, actually our fifth decision. But basically, if you're, if you're rebalancing your portfolio on a regular basis, say every quarter or, or every year even, what you're doing when you're rebalancing is you're, you're going to buy whatever category, let's call it an asset class in the case of our, our strategy. If an asset class has underperformed over a period of time and you're now underweight that asset class relative to the target weight, then you have to buy some of it. So you end up buying asset classes as they've, after they've underperformed, and you end up selling asset classes after they've outperformed. So you're actually doing the opposite of what, the emotional, what your emotional mind tells you to do. You recommend that there are various uh, studies, for example, one by Dalbar, uh, seeing the way people actually behave, as, uh, and therefore the returns they get uh, based on the official returns you see from a mutual fund or an S&P 500. How, how are people's actual returns different from the returns offered by those indexes? Well, depending on the study you look at, um, either dismal or just pretty poor. And some of the, It depends on the methodology that the, the study uses, but basically what we see, what I've seen in all the studies, is that most people, again, they're, they're following sort of the normal human emotional curve here, which is when, when things, after, after markets have gone down, remember markets usually move in advance of uh, the economy and so forth. So markets move down, then you get the bad news. People start to panic and they sell after things are down when they're low and, and vice versa when they're up, that's when they want to buy. And, you know, so when you keep selling low and buying high, you're going to underperform the investment itself. And so that's what happens. Even though you might see a return of 8% or something, if you weren't around to receive it, uh, it doesn't do you a lot of good, basically. People well, get it at the end of the, the trend. That's right. If, if you read in the newspaper or see online that you know, stock fund ABC returned 8% a year over the last five years, well, the only way you got that return was if you stayed fully invested for that whole period and didn't go in and out. Yes. And most people don't Unfortunately, most people go in and out at the wrong times, and so the average investor return <laughs> is, is much lower than the reported return of the fund in, so, in almost every case. So here are some of the things that you talk about as far as uh, the, the traps that people fall into when they're do-it-yourselfers. The first is, is overconfidence. In particular, today's market, how can people feel overconfident when they've had been burned so badly? Well, maybe that's working in the other direction now, but, but overconfidence means, and it's just, again, it's just, these are normal human traits uh, created by evolution, is that 
And we tend to think we're better than we are, and we forget our mistakes of the past and remember our good decisions. And uh, unfortunately, that makes us prone to making those mistakes again. And so we're just recommending an investment strategy that minimizes the number of possible mistakes that you can make. And you also say people are attracted to rising prices. Uh, again, they're, they want to see that it's good by having it go up. Is that the way it works? Well, yeah, you, you, um, you, know, you, see, you see prices that have, that have gone up. Let's say you know, a, a mutual fund or an asset class has, has done well, and you look at that and you think either, well, gee, I knew it all along, or you, know, you project that trend to continue. That's, that's what we tend to do naturally. Our brains just uh, project the same thing continuing going forward, and so you're attracted to that. It's, it's perfectly normal. But we need to, we need to fight that because... Uh, investment returns in the future uh, don't necessarily move in trends like that. And then you talk about affinity traps. What do you mean by that? Well, there you've got, uh, you know, the Bernie Madoff effect, where you've got uh, your friends telling you something, or you see something that looks uh, too good to be true and you want part of it. Um, you know, endorsements by a famous person <laughs> would be an affinity trap, where, you know, just because... Uh, if someone tells you it's great or it appears to be to be uh, exclusive, that doesn't mean that it's right for you. So if you're saying it's it's difficult for most people to do do it yourself, then you're saying uh, these are the different kinds of people you should potentially get on your side. And the first is retail brokers. What are the pros and cons of using a retail broker for somebody who really can't or shouldn't do it themselves? Well. Um, the pro of a broker is that you know they're trained uh, by the brokerage firm, so they, they should have a, a relatively consistent, pretty good training behind them. And um, they've got, of course, the resources of a firm behind them. And if it's a national firm, there's you know, significant resources. The downside would be that a lot of times in that industry, you know, the the there's a a sales uh, underlying sales pressure technique. That's used. I mean, um, in the financial services industry, is is largely sales driven, and um, you know, so when you're paid more to sell one product over another, I think there's a conflict of interest there. And so, while there's you know good potential points, there's there's also some some negatives. And so, what we're recommending is that people, if they're going to look for help, they should hire someone that uh, doesn't have all these potential conflicts of interest, someone that they're paying directly themselves, just like they'd pay their accountant. You pay them some sort of fee, not based on the investments, uh, not based on the, the advice, uh, so the advisor's not getting paid by the investments they're recommending, just, just by the client directly. Now, how, hasn't this changed lately where the SEC has this new rule? I think it's part of the Financial Regulation Act where brokers have to be fiduciaries just as investment managers. Is that going to change the field in the area here a little bit? Well, they're still discussing uh, how to make some sort of unified fiduciary standard, as I understand it. And I believe that brokers, when they're acting in the capacity of a registered investment advisor, they do have that fiduciary standard. But uh, there's this dual hat issue where, uh, on, on the one hand, they could be acting as a fiduciary advisor, and then after that, if you have a different type of account with that broker, then they could switch, and now they're selling securities again. So it's, it's, a, it's a real muddy water 
at the moment, and, and hopefully there'll be some clarity before too long. But um, the simplest approach is just to work with someone who's independent, because there, you know, then you, you know, you don't have this issue, and also an independent advisor is not going to be restricted to the investment products that they can sell. A broker who's working with a firm is uh, often going to be restricted by the firm to a certain limited number of investment products that are approved by that firm, whereas an independent advisor should have flexibility to offer most anything. Now, uh, independent advisors sound good, but you need a decent amount of assets to get into them. What would be the minimum people should expect to get an independent advisor these days? It's hard for me to say because I don't know, you know, the entire marketplace all around the country, but um, I would think that if you had $100,000, you would be able to find a decent, uh, if not good, independent advisor. If you have 500000 or a million, I think there'd be lots of them to choose from. But if you have less than that, you're saying a retail broker is, is somewhat of a solution if you don't have 100000 or more. Uh, if you don't have a hundred thousand of investable money, I think it, the economics are such that it would it would be difficult to find a fee-only advisor. You might be able to find someone who would work on an hourly basis with you. Um, you know, I just I'm not familiar enough with the entire marketplace to know, uh, you know exactly where the where the sweet spots are on that. What are the main areas of fit that you need uh, to have an independent advisor that that works with you? Well, uh, I would say that um, two primary areas of fit. One is that you want to have your advisor um, have an investment approach that is a, is a good fit with your own. So um, the investment philosophy fit, I think, has to be there for there to be a good long-run, uh, long-term relationship. And the second thing, of course, is a, a personality fit. I mean, you, as a client, you want to be, sh you want to have a, an advisor that you feel very comfortable with, someone that you trust, uh, someone that you believe is giving you very good advice, and someone who's accessible to you, someone that you can reach and and have a conversation with and and feel comfortable because you're also going to be sharing over time intimate knowledge. So the, the personal fit is also important. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dan Goldie. Uh, his new book is called The Investment Answer, Learn to Manage Your Money and Protect Your Financial Future. We'll be back after this. markets up or down or if you're looking to improve your portfolio our experts are ready to talk to you call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. 
Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for The Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011 on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800-707-1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay, because spaces are limited. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dan Goldie. Uh, He is the author of a new book called The Investment Answer, Learn to Manage Your Money and Protect Your Financial Future. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Thank you, Jordan. The biggest, uh, the second biggest chapter you have is about the asset allocation decision. Uh, talk about the impact of volatility on returns and how you've allocated your assets. Well, if you can allocate your assets in a smart way that, that uh, invests in asset classes that uh, don't move perfectly together, you can get uh, some diversification benefits there. And just simply mathematically, if you have a portfolio that isn't as volatile as, say, another portfolio of equal risk, then um, it's going to compound your money at a greater rate over time. So it it does pay. There is a diversification benefit to um, having spread your money across multiple asset classes, and if those asset classes don't perfectly correlate over time, then you'll have a smoothing of your returns. And the fact that you don't have the low lows largely is what gives you the greater compounding. So, for example, if you're investing on an ongoing way in stocks and bonds, uh, the stocks have a big move up, um, you'll benefit from that sum, and, and the bonds may go the other direction, which is what's happening now. The stock market in general has been strong, and the bond market's been weak. If you're investing consistently, you're buying more of the bonds when they're cheaper and fewer when the stocks are high, and, and vice versa. Is that the idea? Well, I think that's true. That what you're what you're saying is true. That um, if you're you know if you're averaging in over time, you know, there's a uh, a benefit to to buying in in different cycles like that. But what what I'm talking about is simply the volatility of, of any portfolio, whatever the makeup is. If it's if it's less volatile and still gets the same average return as a portfolio that's more volatile, the less volatile portfolio is going to compound your money at a, at a greater rate. You're going to have a higher ending wealth value at the end of the day. I'm just saying there, we, need to, we need to acknowledge that there is a benefit to having a diversified portfolio that doesn't have big drops. Yeah. Because just very simply, if you have a 50% loss in your portfolio, it takes a 100% return from that point going forward just to get back to even. So the big losses 
in, in effect, hurt more than the big gains help. Which is what happened in 2008, is that people took these huge losses and now they're starting that's to right. recover, even though the market has been up 100% since uh, 2009, basically. Yeah, that's right. And so, uh, you know, investors, if you have an all-equity portfolio, well, of course, you've got to be prepared for those times when markets get cut in half like that. Because um, even if you had a diversified portfolio, if you were all equities in 08, equity markets around the globe, on average, went down 50%. From the data that I've seen, and so it requires a 100% return to get back to even. So it's uh, if you had some fixed income in there, then you you wouldn't have had such a severe loss, and and your recovery would have been a little quicker. Now here are some of the things that you're saying you should diversify amongst uh, small versus large companies. What is the advantage of small versus large companies, and how can you tell who's going to do better and who's going to worse over particular periods of time? Well, the advantage of small companies is that smaller companies are more risky, and therefore the market rewards smaller companies with higher expected returns. Uh, I don't believe there's any way to know which company is going to outperform others, so I recommend that investors buy the entire asset class through an exchange-traded fund or an index fund or some other passive vehicle. If you own all of the small companies, however you define them, uh, you should get over the long run, a higher return on that portfolio than larger companies. But of course, it comes with more risk, more volatility, and there can be long periods of time where small stocks underperform. But we think that's a valuable asset class, and it should be part of anyone's portfolio. And then you have value versus growth. Is that the same or different than small versus large cap? It's different. Uh, it's the same concept in terms of risk and return. In other words, we believe that value stocks which are defined as uh, stocks with low price-to-book values. Uh, some people also look at price-to-earnings and price-to-sales. But in any case, if you have a distressed company whose, stock, whose market price is pushed down relative to book value, there's a reason that the stock price is down there. There's something wrong. There's a, some reason that that firm is distressed. And the fact that the firm is distressed represents a risk factor that people don't want, don't like, and because of that, the stock is priced to have a higher expected return than healthy, attractive companies. So that's why, if you look at, at long-term market data, you find that uh, value stocks outperform growth stocks over the longer period because there there's more risk there. And and they're, you're buying them so low that there's not that much risk that can go down, whereas growth stocks. Uh, if something goes wrong, it can go down a lot. Uh, I don't. I don't necessarily believe that. I think that um, you know. Again, if it were the case that that value stocks were so low that, that there's less risk, well, then they would be. They would not be priced to have higher expected returns. So there's at least a a perception of higher risk. Whether that higher risk is reality or not, uh, you know, that may be up to someone else to figure out. But. I think that, that markets are pricing in more risk for value companies, and that's where that higher return comes from. And then another one of the assets is cash, which a lot of people have a lot of money in today. Um, does it make sense to have money in cash when you're earning basically nothing today? I would only keep money in cash to the extent that you need uh, either an emergency fund or some sort of you know, immediate access to short-term liquidity like that. Uh, but 
the way we're recommending people invest in fixed income, uh, you, you, wouldn't, you shouldn't need a whole lot of uh, emergency fund cash anyway because we're recommending very short maturity, high-quality fixed income, which can be uh, converted to cash very quickly and, and safely. So you say that bonds are certainly part of the asset allocation decision. And today, you've got, in general, rising interest rates, fear of inflation, bond prices have been falling for the last few months. You're saying that shouldn't dissuade you and you should still have a good amount in bonds. What I'm saying is that the fixed income part of the portfolio should be very short maturity. Always, always short maturity. And So if you have bonds or bond funds that have average maturities of a year or less or two years or less, then those rising interest rates and, and, and these, you know, this inflation fear, it, it shouldn't be a concern because um, you know, the, the bonds are not uh, long enough in maturity to have significant interest rate risk. And, and if interest rates go up, then these shorter maturity bonds will be able to be rolled over by the fund and, and invested in the, the higher yielding bonds going forward. So overall, what are the main things people need to do to, to asset to do proper asset allocation. Sorry, say that one more time. What, what are the main things people seeing all these different choices? What are the main steps they need to take to asset to allocate their assets properly? Well, I think that uh, you know it, it takes um, some thinking about uh, largely what what the the risk profile is that you want to have with your money, and so there's a number of factors that would influence that, but uh, number one would be your age and, and how long you're going to work. And uh, you know, this is, again, this is really where an advisor can be invaluable, is, is helping, helping you figure that out, having a, an independent party there to give you some feedback. But basically, uh, you know, your asset allocation should, should mirror your risk profile. So if you're a younger investor and you can take more risk and you've got a long period of time for that money to grow, then you can afford to have a more equity-oriented portfolio. But if you're closer to retirement or you're in retirement, then your earning capacity is, is much reduced, and it would make sense to be more conservative and have uh, you know, less money in equities than, than a younger person. So in addition to asset allocation, your next chapter is on diversification. This is more diversification amongst different kinds of stocks and bonds, like domestic versus international stocks and domestic versus international bonds. How do you layer that on top of the asset allocation decision you just mentioned? Well, I, I really see this as the second cut of asset allocation. So the, the first cut is the stocks, bonds, cash, you know, big picture, top-down decision. And then the next question is, well, if you're going to put a certain amount in stocks, well, which stock asset classes should you own? And that's what we're calling a diversification decision. And, you know, you want to have asset classes that don't correlate perfectly. You want to have asset classes that capture some of the higher returns of small companies and value companies. You might want to have some real estate uh, equities in there to capture more diversification. International exposure, I think, is also important uh, for diversification benefits and uh, emerging market companies as well for the, you know, the higher expected returns of those economies. And combining them all, you have a, a chart, uh, portfolio risk and return, showing, depending on how you allocate your assets between stocks and bonds, you can actually get a, a higher return with less risk. Is that right? 
yes, I think you know, the data show uh, that 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 is true. That going you know, looking looking at twenty or thirty years or even forty years of data will show you that if you have a very diversified portfolio of say ten or twelve or fourteen different asset classes, if you can capture the returns of those asset classes through some sort of index fund or passive vehicle, that your returns for that portfolio are going to be very, very competitive with other types of investment strategies. Definitely, definitely very attractive relative to active strategies because your costs are so much lower. You certainly need patience to do that. A lot of people are not used to waiting 20 or 30 years to see how it all turns out. You need patience and, and first and foremost, discipline. The discipline, I think, is what, what catches people the most because um, you know, these investments are long-term uh, strategies. And you know, this, is, this is not an investment strategy designed to be traded daily or weekly or anything like that. I mean, these are, these are long-term buy-and-hold and rebalance type, type portfolios. Yeah. Uh, the next uh, chapter you have is uh, the active versus passive decision. Uh, we have about a minute to go before a break, but in general, it sounds like you're more in favor of passive as opposed to active management. Is that right? Yes, I think that the passive strategies uh, offer a number of advantages. Number one, uh, it's, it's less expensive uh, to invest passively. There's not as much trading. The, the, the management fees are lower. Um, the, the diversification is broader, typically. So there's, there's a number of things uh, uh, that allow an investor to have a better chance at getting a higher return. And then also, with a passive strategy, you know exactly the asset class you're getting. So if you're, you know, if you're buying a, a large market index fund, then you're going to get the U.S. large stock market. If you buy a foreign uh, index fund, you, you know you're going to get that particular index. And um, you know, having control of your allocation through passive strategies is another advantage. With active strategies, you may be drifting all over the place. Your manager may decide to go from large stocks to small stocks without your knowledge. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dan Goldie. Uh, his new book is called The Investment Answer, uh, Learn to Manage Your Money and Protect Your Financial Future. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011 on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. 
Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800-707-1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay, because spaces are limited. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dan Goldie. Uh, he is uh, author of a new book called The Investment Answer, Learn to Manage and Protect Your Financial Future. Welcome back to the show, Dan. Jordan, thank you. And give them the website again, not only of your, your, your own investment firm, but of the uh, book as well. Well, the book's website is uh, www.theinvestmentanswerbook.com. And, and you can, can learn all about there? the book there and... Yeah. Um, uh, my business website is www.dangoldie.com. Okay, very good. Um, now, we're talking about the active versus passive decision, um, and you were saying that uh, many active managers fail uh, to beat the uh, passive index. It, it, how has that been going lately as far as uh, what percentage you're beating these days? Well, I think that uh, it's, a, it's a mathematical uh, certainty that over time, that the passive as a group is going to outperform active as a group because the costs are lower. It, just, it has to be. So it just depends on how how the measurement is done as to what you know what the percentage numbers are. And the longer the period of time you look at, typically the the greater the percentage of underperformance because the costs uh, compound over time. So it uh, it just it just stacks the odds in your favor. I think if you uh, if you invest passively because you're you're reducing your costs and. There's the other advantages that I mentioned before, too, which is you have control of your allocation more completely when you're using a passive strategy. A lot of times you can have a broader, a more broadly diversified portfolio that way. So I just think it's a more sensible choice. So the people who are seeing uh, CNBC or Money Magazine or Forbes saying you know, the hot, latest hot mutual fund, you, you think is a bad idea for them to follow those kind of ideas? I think that that strategy is not likely to result in market-beating performance. Yes. That's, that's, that's as simple as that. And then also you talk about uh, market timing, where uh, if you miss a certain number of days, up days in the market, you miss out a lot in returns. Explain that a little further. Well, markets move very, very quickly sometimes. And um, when, when, if, you're, if you're moving your money and changing your allocations, uh, in, in some sort of a tactical strategy or a market timing strategy, the, the odds of getting something wrong that costs you return are pretty high. And um, 
you know, so if you look at uh, just missing a few of the best days, you know, you, you really it doesn't take much to knock your return down. Of course, if you uh, if you miss the bad days, that knocks your return up. So it works it works both ways. But the point is that markets move so quickly that the chance of being able really to tactically allocate effectively, I think, is is pretty low. And then you talk about paying attention to costs. Uh, give us an example of how much costs do add up, even though they sound like small percentages over time. Well, those costs, you know, they compound over time, of course. And, you know, you can cut out know, probably a, a percent of uh, per year of costs if you, if you use a, a passive vehicle versus uh, a more typical active vehicle. And, uh, you know, that percent a year or more, that, that, that can add up a lot. And, and particularly when you look at a lot of these, Alternative strategies that are that are now so popular, uh, like hedge funds and hedge fund of funds. I mean, those costs in some of these vehicles uh, can get very, very high, and it's really a big hurdle for the managers of those products to overcome. If they have a you know a two or three or, or more percent per year cost, um, that's a tough hurdle to overcome. I, I think that's very difficult. Of course, all of them would say they're worth it, right? That's the nature of what they're going to be saying. Well, you know, uh, markets are pretty darn efficient, and um, you know the studies are starting to come out now on uh, the returns of alternative investments like hedge funds. And when you start to account for the fact that the indexes of hedge funds are um, created through uh, hedge funds reporting their returns voluntarily, meaning that you would expect there to be like a self-selection mechanism where the poor performing ones simply choose not to report. When you start correcting for these kinds of things, the studies that I'm seeing more recently start to look like the old mutual fund studies that were first done in the 60s showing that mutual funds consistently underperform markets. I do think that these costs um, are affecting the returns. So uh, between index mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, uh, which way would you go if you want to be a passive investor? I, I think that um, there are a larger, a greater number of, of good choices among uh, index mutual funds. Uh, the the exchange-traded funds, there's a lot of uh, more uh, uh, trading-oriented vehicles, sector-type vehicles, uh, more narrowly defined uh, vehicles and the exchange traded fund side. So there are there are some good ones that, that can be used either either place. Uh, but it seems to me that for a long term investor, there there are more choices among the index mutual funds and other passively managed mutual funds. And the last big decision you say people need to make is rebalancing. Um, so again, it it sounds easy, but kind of psychologically, it's difficult to be selling your winners and buying your losers all the time. How do you do that in some disciplined way? Well, so if you're following this approach and you have, you know, these asset class components to your to your portfolio and you've got 10 or 12 asset classes in there uh, and you're rebalancing those those funds, uh, say, quarterly or annually or, or on some sort of schedule like that, uh, that's probably the, the, the key to it is to you know, have a schedule and follow it religiously. But what happens to most people is when it comes time to rebalance, there's the emotions come into play. And, you know, if you're talking about rebalancing and it's the end of 08 and the market appears to be falling apart and it looks like, 
you know, the, the world is ending, it's, it's very difficult at that point to be buying stocks or stock funds, which is what rebalancing would have you do all the way through the, you know, the, the latter part of 08 and early 09. I mean, it's difficult. So it's, it's really the discipline to follow through on that, that that becomes a challenge for most of us. How often do you think people should rebalance? I think uh, no more than quarterly and probably no less than every year. And I've seen some studies that show different results for, for that. But um, uh, as long as it's frequent enough, but not too frequent. And what kind of ra- higher rates of return do you get when you do rebalance when you don't rebalance in the same market? Well, there's no guarantee that that's going to result in higher returns. Uh, there have been periods of time where it has, and there's been periods of time where it hasn't. But what it really does, most importantly, is it maintains your risk, your risk profile of your portfolio. Uh, in other words, if, if, you did, if you had a portfolio that you just let drift, then um, over time your, your equity percentage is going to go up, of course, because as long as stocks over time outperform other asset classes, then you're going to keep getting more and more of your money in stocks. So rebalancing is really a, a risk management tool, primarily. And in uh, summing up, uh, we have about a minute to go. You say everyone can succeed. Why don't you just sum up how it is possible that the average person, without being an expert, can succeed using your strategies? Well, we can all succeed because um, there's a positive return on capital. and Otherwise, capitalism wouldn't work, and, and, and we know that it does. So uh, as long as markets continue to function, and properly, which they always have, uh, then you know that market efficiency and and um, the fact that there is a positive return on capital, as long as you're investing in a way that deploys your money across capital markets efficiently and in a broadly diversified, low-cost portfolio, you should capture the returns that markets make available. And really, it becomes more a question of trying to minimize your mistakes uh, and let the market work. And, and let your money grow with markets. That's really, I think, the key. Very good. Well, my guest, thank you so much, Dan. My guest has been Dan Goldie. His latest book is called The Investment Answer. Uh, the website to find out more about it is theinvestmentanswerbook.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Dan. Jordan, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, and we'll be back in another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.